Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Season 11 continues, and as regular listeners know, we are currently focused on the Oscars. Each episode, I host a panel of film industry professionals to discuss the nominees in their category of expertise. There will be 10 episodes total, and we're releasing two a week between now and the 94th Academy Awards on March 27th. Today, we're talking about costume design, and we've got a pair of costume designers ready to share their insights. Allison Shea Brown, welcome back to Below the Line. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Glad you're back. And Helen Wong, nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Skid. Listeners, if you're curious about our panel and their film credits, look them up on the Internet Movie Database. Below the Line also has a page on IMDb, so you can start on a specific episode and simply click through to the film credits of our guests. The five films nominated for costume design are Cruella, Cyrano, Dune, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. Ladies, let's start with Cruella, costume designer Jenny Bevan. Well, I love Jenny Bevan. Any work of hers, she's just very, she's outstanding. I think she's just very inventive. And then also she has really amazing fabric taste. So, um, and everyone remembers her famously being at the Oscars in a leather jacket, um, <laughs> accepting her award and then getting flack for that. So she's like my hero. Yeah, I, I don't want to deviate too much about uh, Jenny, what she wore the last time she won at the Academy Awards for Mad Max. But also, I do agree with you that she was my hero because, first of all, I think she did look really great. And I'll, but also, she looked amazing. But also, it doesn't matter what she looks like. No, it all. doesn't. So I don't even know why there's a topic of conversation. I think probably because it was a woman and also the reaction of a lot of the men's faces as she walked down the aisle. That was extremely, I was so upset by that. That made me so, so irate. Um, but in terms of Cruella, uh, loved it. I, I think it was maybe one of my favorites out of all of it because it's, it's like a nice kind of combination of period, but also super stylized and also has the flair of all the fashion houses, well, fictitious fashion houses. And Emma Thompson's costumes were spectacular. Um, obviously, Emma Stone. And also just, I think, the breadth of having a really small palette in terms of Cruella, in terms of that she's in a lot of black and white because of her hair and the Dalmatians. The fact that she was able to give so much texture with all the black, the leathers, the patents, the, the silks, and she really understands like how light hits black in terms of like if it shines more, if it's flat, also all the patchworking and the stitching. I think she has a lot of that strength also in Mad Max, just with textures and understanding fabrics, like you were saying really well, Yeah, which she must have like a really, really strong background in textiles. Also trusting the people that either that are making the, making the costumes and also the direction in terms of making the costumes. Yeah. Also something interesting that I heard was like, she brought like a whole like sort of like 90s because a lot of um you know emma stone's character was sort of based on like the punk movement and jenny's done interviews saying that and then she brought like a whole 1970s like trunk fulls of things to emma's fitting one of the more interesting things i thought of was like you know a lot of times like with disney 
films, whatever the era, whatever the concept is, is filtered through something Disney. So it's like you could do a time period, but it's filtered through Disney. So it's either more digestible or the color palette is slightly off from the time period. And so sort of sometimes when you're watching it, you're not really sure, you know, exactly what time period that they're in because of that filter. But with Jenny's work, I think, again, like Allison said, there was uh, so much texture and they did use a lot of black, which I was very surprised by because Disney doesn't use like a lot of black. That's traditionally not something that they allow very much. But I thought she did it very well. But I did see the filter because, you know, in many ways, that's not what punk looked like in the 1970s. And so the silhouettes were still much tighter, according to sort of things that Disney likes, you know, so I thought that was very interesting. I think also just to bring up designers obviously have their own perspective and their own point of view when they go into something, things that they like to do. But a lot of times, especially on these big movies, they're being filtered through sort of either a Disney or like a Marvel or some some other type of mechanics where their designs are more catered to the, the structure that they're designing for, their director that they're designing for. So it's not entirely just their aesthetic that's being you know, represented on screen. It's like the combination of them and the organism or whatever, the mechanics that they're working under. So I thought that was why Corella was also very interesting because it was just all these time periods being done in a Disney way. And of course, because it was an animated film, a lot of the characters had to mirror the characters that have already been designed. So there's a whole new other set of challenges there that I think she did so well that I think people don't really pick up on when you have to design to an animation. That's a very odd thing to do and very challenging. Right, right. Well, and this one has the extra filter, right? That there's the animated film, but there's also the live action Dalmatian movies, that this is a prequel to those. Now, I haven't seen those, and I'm curious if you guys have seen them, how much of the wardrobe or costume design was sort of presupposed because of those other films? I think they started new because those films had a different aesthetic. Obviously, like those were done in the 90s and they had a very sort of 90s aesthetic to it. They were also, um, you know, Cruella actually, I think, wore fur in that version because fur was much more accepted in the 90s. And in this version, she didn't wear fur at all. If you look at the whole entire movie, like even the black and white coat that they did for her, you know, and they made it a statement that they said that she wore the fur of, of dogs, but she said that she didn't. And so aesthetics and just what was even in a movie like Cruella the amount of you know her villainous like lust for fur was also tapered because Disney probably doesn't want that association because it's sort of a passe thing you know yeah I think the previous Cruella's in terms of the live action they also for me were more cartoony and this Cruella with Jenny was a lot more fashion driven in my opinion a lot more raw, less caricature, and uh, more character, actor-driven, and definitely rooted in fashion. And also just, I know it's 2022, but I think this might transcend like other time periods instead of being stuck in like a 90s like lens, like the other one was, but really successful. I mean, I, 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 I think everyone in terms of every age really loved it. I mean, I know my actors on set everyone wanted to dress like Cruella for Halloween. And uh, it was really fun. We we're like, oh, which Cruella are you going to dress like? Because there were so many options of like the gowns, the day-to-day, the, you know, the red dress. It's just, there were just so many to pick from that. Yeah, I, I was really pleased with this one. And also it's interesting what you're saying, 
uh, Helen about it was somewhat compromised through like the lens of Disney and, you know, the infamous producer's input and AKA the clients, if you're doing like commercial work. Yeah. But I, I think it was still successful. And I think Disney also was really happy with just how it turned out. Um, I know they wanted to do like a line of kids clothes through Disney, the dolls. And I just think in terms of just being original and fresh and new and complex and intricate, I think it was a really successful overall from the beginning to end, all the costumes. I was really pleased with it. So a film where fashion design is a central tenet of the plot, as costume designers, does that mean that you're carrying extra weight around the story? Or do you think more of that sort of direction comes from the director because it's baked into the script? I think a lot of times in scripts, they're not that specific about sort of like the fashion direction. A lot of times, like designers have to sort of show inspiration and, and sort of lead them to where they go. But with something this big, I'm sure discussion was heavy early on about what these two designers were going to be. Obviously her, you know, Emma Thompson's house was more sort of like Dior Givenchy, like uh, very glamorous, older 1960s. And Emma Stone was sort of like Vivian Westwood coming up in the 1970s. I'm sure those discussions were like heavily had and concepted along with Jenny and the research like sort of helped lead them through it. But even with Emma Thompson's look, like even as they were replicating these designers, I think, you know, she really tried to give it sort of a uniqueness. And, and that's what I was saying too, is like sometimes, you know, with the project sort of being Disney and stuff, like the fabrics are slightly different to sort of make it uh, more saturated or colorful or the fabrics are chosen. So it there provides like more metallic. And that's where it, it differentiates between something that's like a movie that's its intention is to truly replicate like the time period. Yeah. I mean, like Helen was saying, obviously there probably were definitely discussions being had, but also it also depends on like the writer and the director. I know sometimes I've worked with showrunners and they're just like so set on something that they've seen before and that you have to incorporate into the costume designs. Or like they know if like their kids wore it or if they saw it one time in like television or in a music video and they get so like hung up on this thing that sometimes, you know, they might be like, we have to have a red dress during this scene or something, mm -hmm. but maybe they won't say like what it is or like how it would get the silhouette, but like, you know, that you have to have maybe a red dress and, you know, scene you know, Z or something, but it all depends on like the director and also their vocabulary with fashion and how educated they are or not. And if they trust the designer or if there's lots of years of experience with like the same production company with the designer or the director and the designer. For me, I, I kind of sometimes cringe when there's like fashion in film because me too. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Here is the, I don't know, the stereotypical fashion dresses in this fashion house. Also, just background, I came from New York. I worked at Vera Wang. I worked at Calvin Klein. I worked in those houses. And it's cringy to think about like your costume house being like a stereotype. But also when you're living it, it is also really stereotypical. <laughs> just like the hierarchy of how it's built, who can speak, who can look at certain people or address people in a meeting. But when I actually watched that movie, I thought each piece was super thoughtful this is a spoiler, but when they go to the room where they locked the dress in that cage and then it was eaten by the moths and it was surrounded by all these other dresses, 
And actually, I really liked everything I was seeing. I was like, oh, these are actually all really interesting pieces. And the piece itself was really beautiful. So I I was really surprised by just the thought that was put into things that were never going to be worn by anyone. That was just going to be like on a dress form. It's a lot. I don't know, like if she I don't know what her hand was in terms of like what she delegated to like her ACD or her key customers in terms of just how much. But some some costume designers do background lineups on everybody and like approve every single person. So her team is really strong too. That's undeniable. That was a lot of people to dress to in that whole movie. Yeah. Same with you, Allison. I do cringe when it's like a fashion line or like the stories about a fashion designer. You know, I didn't work in fashion houses, but I think one of the main things I always feel like is the cringy part is there's such sort of like different emotional avenue when you're actually a designer and designing things and for things to look cohesive and sort of the ideas behind it and I feel like because it's in like a television show or in a film it's like tampered with and then so the things that appear on screen seems like a knockoff of something and then also sometimes depending if you do it well or not it's like a lack of understanding of what those sort of fashion influences are and then when you see it on the screen, then it becomes really sort of like cheap in a way, you know, or if it's like a direct inspiration, like, you know, Molly Goddard, she gets knocked off a lot on shows because of those big dresses. It's like easy to do. And it's like very fashiony. And then it, it makes me kind of sad because it's like, they're using her as a direct influence, but not crediting her as like the direct influence. And so those are the things that really kind of make me uncomfortable when it's like fashion meets costuming because you do have to dissect those layers in order for it to come off as well done as maybe Cruella did you know well the next film on our list is Cyrano the nominated team is Massimo Cantini Perini and Jacqueline Duran I really love Cyrano I love it even more because the budget of that movie was 30 million dollars and a lot of these these movies that are have been nominated. And that's one thing that people should know about Oscars. Things like Cruella, you know, big movies, like they have a big budget. And so the costumes look good. It is the talent of the costume designer, but also because of the resources that they have underneath them. Like if they can't find a fabric, they could make the fabric. If you can't find the right color, you could dye, like have specialty dyers dye the right fabric you have agers and dyers the best people to make suits and seamstresses and tailors to sort of make these and then also what a big budget buys you is time so a lot of time for prep so if something doesn't look right you could remake it and have the economics to like remake it so Cyrano was very impressive I think in terms of like the color palette it looked like a painting which is the most amazing like all the combinations between the production design and the costumes together look like a painting. But also I feel like I love Jacqueline too. I think her work is just spectacular. And like Jenny, her understanding of textiles is sort of at another level. I also think that Jacqueline in particular has a very good understanding and just so talented in terms of like color, the way she uses color in her design. First of all, the color was really good. Second of all, you know, they were doing the late 1700s. And the fabrication that they were using to create a softer 1700s versus, you know, the more traditional 1700s, I thought was like really impressive because it's really hard to get the shape of something from that time period and sort of substitute 
different fabrics and softer fabrics because there's a reason why things are designed the way they are because the fabrication of that time period directly affects how something is designed and can hold its shape. And I thought she did an amazing job with that. Agreed. When I was watching it, I felt like it was just like a painting. It was was just really easy to watch in terms of just the aesthetics, the movement. I went in blindly not knowing that it was going to be a musical. I remember the old Serrano. I can't remember the actor's name, but I watched that movie a lot as a kid. Yes, I watched that movie a lot as a kid. I don't know why, but then when I watched this one, I was like, oh yeah, it's like that movie. It's the same story. And I love Roxanne. And I just, I was just like, oh, I like just completely forgot that this was all the same story. But with that said, I didn't know that this one was going to be a musical because those other films weren't musicals. And because it's in like late 17th century, I was just happy to watch all those costumes move so beautifully. Those costumes weren't meant to move like that. Like they weren't meant to be like people jumping and prancing and dancing around. Um, And it's throughout the whole film. Like even if the main character is just singing, you have people like dancing in the background and twirling. That in itself is a whole other mountain to climb in terms of fitting dancers, making sure things move right, stretch right, fit all those body types. And then knowing that it was on such a tight budget is, I mean, they should get an award just because of that, because that's really impressive. Also, I think that they did a really good job dressing Peter. I thought just like the way that the center of his body was just all monochromatic red, and then the outsides were like just tailored with like the the off-white cream. I really just elongated him. I love the jacket with it. And he he didn't quite match the rest of his group of the other men. He had like different buttons. The silhouette was slightly different. The tailoring was different, but still very obviously like they're all together. And I just thought it looked so great. I just was so happy with it. Yeah, like you said, she has to really know her textiles because for things to move and lay right um, and to dance right, but also successfully match that time period is really, really difficult, especially on a budget, because then you're at the mercy of your dollar versus what it looks like versus how it moves. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I think they did a brilliant job on sort of like cueing in color. A lot of times, you know, when things are lower budget, because you can't afford things like hand embroidery or like, you know, handmade shoes, a lot of times the solution is to strip it back. So you're designing to a stripped back version of something, but the color and the cohesiveness of the color really helps. And I think when they did the Legion uniforms of Peter's Legion, that was a very successful problem solving element of it because they were sort of color cued. And so they look extremely cohesive when perhaps they wouldn't have enough money to do sort of the more ostentatious because uniforms during that time were very kind of ostentatious, especially with officers. So that as a problem solving solution, but also like I was thinking in that particular scene where all the officers were like dancing, you could see like if maybe they had money, there would have been a sort of a different solution to that. But I thought it was very good to have them like be in practice. Everyone had their coats off. And so that's a less expensive way because you don't have to make an outer layer or a coat and you have sleeves and and the inside shirt, which are easier to make, but it worked with the scene, but also was like a good solution on something that is lower budget. But on something like that, you know, a lot of it becomes for it to look that good is the expertise of the costume designer and having worked on so much to know how to reduce costs, but with the biggest amount of impact. Well, I think we're talking about a different budget category with our third film. That would be Dune. (laughs) 
The nominated team is Jacqueline West and Robert Morgan. Big fan of Jacqueline West, but like for Dune, to me, the standout. And I'm I'm a big, like, I love uniforms. I love space suits. Like, I love sort of elements like that. But it's those, those uh, what are they called? The, the, the suits that they had. The still suits. The still suits in the, um, I thought the still suits in the original were sort of fascinating also in terms of like how they were made. And then the still suits in this one was like sort of mind boggling in the mobilities that the actors had in it, but also in the way it like looked. And so I think to me, that's the most fascinating part. Because, you know, suits like that, even 10 years ago, it's it would have been really hard to make to where the actor could be very mobile. And there are challenges to suits like that because, you know, the actor does have to move and then they also have to do, like, obviously a lot of stunts in them. So for me, like, the challenge of sort of getting to the end result of that still suit is beyond anything in that film. The film is beautiful throughout, but for me, the star is the ingenuity of costume design when it comes to those still suits. I agree. Dune also was another film where I kind of went in blindly. I didn't actually see the, the previous one, but I didn't think it mattered because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fresh. I can just watch this with like clear head. So Dune was, takes place in what, 10,000? That's about right. I think 10,000 years in the future, or maybe, I'm sorry, 8,000 years in the future if you're oh, yeah. doing the math, but yeah. Oh, right. So anyway, but my point is, yeah, so Dune takes place 8,000 years into the future, which I appreciate because I also cringe when I watch futuristic movies and they take place like 50 years into the future. And then all of a sudden like, they're flying in the air and wearing these like crazy costumes. This made more sense to me. It's like, okay, well, we're 8,000 years into the future. And why do we look like we're wearing like a space techie uniform. Oh, it makes sense because you have to wear these still suits. It's preserving your energy. Any perspiration that you have that comes out goes back into your suit and then you drink the liquid. So I like that there was actually like a conceptual reason for why it looked the way it did. And also in a like functional way, it had to still breathe for the actors because it was hot. They were shooting in the desert. Um, so in a way, they almost were like real still suits for them. I mean, they weren't drinking the perspiration, but I did appreciate that they were functional, um, aesthetically, conceptually made sense. Also, I just loved that they kind of mimicked, first of all, they're mostly monochromatic, the costumes in terms of the, the still suits. And so you're really heavily relying on the design in terms of like a lot of it looked almost like mirroring muscles and bones and like the structure of the human anatomy, first of all. So it kind of like literally hugs their body in a way that makes sense. I know the designer went back and forth between the person that manufactured them and also like her take on it, feedback back and forth. But I, I loved them too. They weren't bulky to me. They had low profile. They fit the actors well. They weren't cheesy. I think they were original. I, I really I really liked this film and the costuming as well. And uh, I think the still suits really were like, like you said, like the strong viewing point of the film and very successful. You know, like it always is interesting in sci-fi, whether the production design and the costuming meet because sci-fi is none other where the two things need to be joined up. And I thought the production design in the brutalist architecture was very well mimicked in the costumes. There was also something very impressive about them shooting on location for most of the movie. And that provided sort of environmental context to why they're wearing the things that they're wearing, which was extremely impressive. And so everything sort of 
gelled together. I do want to say one thing about just sort of sci-fi in general, because I know there are sort of like issues with Dune in terms of using Islamic culture and Islamic representation in its story. But I do think the point that I want to make is like sometimes in sci-fi, I do feel like not so much in this because it's cohesive with the story. But sometimes in sci-fi, I feel like they rely too much on appropriation of other cultures to signal something foreign, which I don't like. And I felt like the way they did it in this film sort of teetered the balance because they also used a lot of more sort of archival references um, for their costumes in combination. So it's not really relying on other cultures and their aesthetics and their shapes to signal something foreign. I'll get into that if you ever want to, because I've had a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> I can see that's, that is upsetting and, co- and complicated. It's very complicated. Moving on to the fourth film on our list, Nightmare Alley. Costume designer, and with apologies for any mispronunciations, Louis Sakura. Well, I've seen the 1940s original before I saw it, and I thought it was very good for comparison, a film, a noir that was originally supposed to be, you know, black and white versus this colored version. And I thought it was just beautiful to do sort of 30s and 40s without being heavy handed. But also I think the way, you know, especially when you're at the carnival, the way some of the clothes look older from the 30s and not so 30s, even though they were in 35, I thought was very good because, you know, a lot of times what makes a period piece look a little bit more real is the fact that not everyone is wearing the correct thing from like that exact, like 1935, because that's not the way people dress. You know, you have people, especially back then, having things 10 years older, 20 years older, and it's mixed in with the things from that time period. And so the more you sort of do that, the more organic something looks. And I felt like he did such a good job presenting that, but also in how he instructed the ager and dyer and everyone to sort of wear out the textiles. So it really grounds you in a place. And then when Bradley Cooper's character becomes more successful, you could see the transition in a starker way and the also like the lines and of the garments become crisper i thought that was very good i agree yeah the evolution of just his career mimicking and paralleling his costuming was really successful yeah the grit and the dirt of the the beginning and the end really raw really beautiful also i felt like everyone wore the costumes really well i didn't really feel like anyone i didn't feel like the costumes wore them and also nothing like distracting um very seamless to watch this designer also did shape the water which i was a huge fan of and i was rooting for him that season when he also was nominated for an academy award i think that the relationship with Guillermo del toro whether or not he's producing or directing they must have a really good relationship because they have worked together in the past and i think that when directors and producers trust their designers, you get a really, really successful interpretation of the script on film with costumes because no one's second guessing the other person, no one's meddling in you know, their department. I think sometimes a lot of things happen when there's too much pushback and feedback and editing it stifles the creative process. And then I don't think that designers always get like true justice in their vision. So I thought this was a good, a good film to show something that 
obviously has been working with them over the years. And if you just trust your creatives, this is like, this is what you get out of it. I always thought too, in particular, like I heard that he, for Kate Blanchett's character, you know, was searching through vintage textiles and found two blacks that would read very well under the lighting of the cinematographer. And I thought that was very interesting because that's a few things that people actually talk about because a lot of times, you know, you make sort of something and then you get into the camera test and then when you see them light it, it's like definitely not the same thing as what you thought you were putting in front of the screen. And so I'm just like always impressed when people could design to not only an aesthetic, but sort of exactly what the lighting situation would be. And I think that also goes back to like a director and how he allows his production design and his cinematographer and his costume designer to function because they are the trifecta of what ends up on the screen. Going back to, I can't repeat this enough, like designers who are very good with fabrication always has the most interesting result because they understand how a product can come out, especially with like Bradley Cooper suits towards the end and sort of like the wolves and the textiles that they used. But also, you know, in terms of all of these, in Nightmare Alley, it is particularly also challenging in certain ways to design for stars in a period piece, because even though they need to look like the time period, they are still stars. And so sometimes you have to like tailor the time period to the star's aesthetic or cheat it a little bit because in the 30s and 40s, men wore their pants like up to their belly buttons and the star doesn't want to do that. So it sort of takes you out of it. But I thought in this film, it was a very good balance of like recognizing that in the movie that there are, you know, these actors, these big actors, and then sort of, but not taking it out of the time period and making that a cohesive element too. I agree. That is a hard thing to balance with the actor's needs and the director's needs and your own needs. Yeah. Because because those things can conflict a lot. You know? Oh, yeah. When you get to that fitting room and the actor's like, I'm not wearing that. Or what's that? Yeah. You know, I find that sometimes like if you're doing like sci-fi or fantasy, it's actually easier with the actors to get them to wear something because it's so far removed from their identity. And period sometimes can happen too because they'll be really gung-ho for the time period. But during the time period, the fits are sort of weird, especially sometimes for men. And so it is about like that balancing act of getting the director what he wants, you understanding the time period. So you trying to get what you want and then the actor in their performance and their input into the costume. Like you said before, it's a lot of juggling with everyone and a lot of problem solving too. And then in terms of like the suits, yeah, they were super impactful, but also, you know, a lot of that's credited to the amazing cutter fitters and the tailors that are involved. Tailors can travel with their designers for years and years, like a whole career. So also, once again, shout out to that team because they did a really good job um, as a whole. I know he had really great resources. There has been interviews with him when he said that they had original source, like vintage suits that they sort of copied off of 40s for him. So I think also like in terms of the research, the more access you have to like actually seeing the garment firsthand rather than in pictures really inform good design in the movie. Mm -hmm. So in talking about the interaction between costume design and cinematography, this film was released in color, but then they re-released the film in black and white. I didn't see the black and white version in theaters, but I'm curious whether either of you did or as a costume designer, does that 
I don't know, scare you that they may make that decision in post? Or do you think that's the sort of thing that you're just planning for up front? I think I would be interested to know if they made that decision when they made the color version. Because things in, you know, like when you choose things for things in black and white, like I've done it sometimes with a couple of projects that I've done, like you have to actually take a picture of the fabrics or the pattern in black and white to see what it looks like. And oftentimes it doesn't look like what you think it does. The fabric saturation, it, it just looks very different. And so like for me, the success of that is whether they plan for that upfront to release it in black and white or they didn't because then the intention is different. And so the product would kind of be different. Things that you think would be of great contrast in color might not be of great contrast in black and white. Also like details you think would be beautiful in color and textures might not read in black and white, it might read really flat. And so I, I just don't know what to think about it because it's sort of like, was the intent to do both at the same time? Yeah, I can only hope that they gave Louise that information from the beginning that they might go either way. I assume that they had to have done that and that he is just had to do double the work and make sure it looks great in color and also in film. I also wondered that wondered about that with Belfast. I feel like because that film is, I don't know, 99% in black and white, but I still had a feeling that even if it was in color, that that designer still, it still would have been beautiful in terms of the palette. But you do make different choices. I have worked on stuff in black and white before. And luckily with those teams, I also was really close with my cinematographer. So I actually would fabric shop and send him fabrics. And we would talk about it because we were doing custom builds. So I was like, do you think that this would read well in black and white? Like Helen was saying, you take pictures of it, you make it no black and white, and then you send it. But it's still a conversation um, with a cinematographer because you want to make sure that because you're losing such an easy element in terms of just looking at a costume like if you take away the color it has to have like a really good weight in terms of like the texture or the way it lays there has to be some sort of other solid factor involved if you take away the color it has to also like live up to its potential i would have to hope that they told louise and that he designed it with both lenses of black and white or color well the fifth and final nominee on our list is west side story costume designer paul tazewell I think for this West Side Story, and I've also, you know, I've seen the original. I always like to see the original before I see the new piece. It's very funny. The original is also supposed to be in the time period of like 1950s. But, you know, because it was done in the 1960s, it kind of just looked 1960s <laughs> during 1950s, which is what all the, a lot of the, the time period films look like. Like, it doesn't even matter what decade or period that they're in. It just, like, looks like, you know, the Gatsby was done in the 70s. It looks like the 70s. It doesn't, you know, look like the 1920s. And so uh, this one, I was obviously now when you try to do a time period, the point of view is, like, you try to do the time period. So he did do very 1950s. And I think Allison said, you know, something about Cyrano is like to make costumes where people could like dance and sort of move the way they do because Paul is from a theater background. He designed like a big theatrical Broadway productions. He's a perfect person to like do this because having a film where it's like mostly dancing of movement and things like that, like you have to approach the costume design in a very different way. And this is where like you probably can't use the traditional fabrics of that time period with your design because they don't stretch or they don't move like the 50s that they don't move and they can't cater to what a dancer is supposed to do. Also, sometimes it does limit how you want to design because 
you know, and this goes with stunts too, with a lot of stunt actors too. You want to design something fantastic, you want to put it on them, but they do it, they do the movements and it really doesn't work. And so you have to like almost like cut back. And so I thought it was really impressive how a lot of ways, how minimal the designs were, but how effective it sort of all the elements came together in his design to sort of support movement and still support the story. Yeah, absolutely. The costumes moved fantastic throughout the film with all the dancers. I was actually talking about this with my coworker at work about how we just also really loved the aging. We're like, shout out to the agers and dyers. They looked fantastic. I'm, I'm sure a lot of things, well, I mean, I know a lot of things were custom built for the principal actors, but I just think they looked great in terms of just the period. I, I was watching that film and I was like, wow, this almost looks like an old 1950s film. It just, it was so successful in terms of just keeping on track. I mean, even the way they cast the actors, everyone's hair looked great, like the right lengths, parts, and the men's pants were at the right levels of their waist. I just, I was really impressed because you can lose so much of that normally in period film, like you were saying, Helen. But this one I felt stayed really on track. I know Spielberg's just, I don't know, he's kind of like cut and dry about that in a way. He's just very, like, he's formulaic. I feel like the team he builds is just, they have like their system going. And I just felt aesthetically, this was another strong film. I really wonder why it didn't do well in theaters. I kind of actually wondered if the film was too like 1950s. It didn't give enough contemporary flair for younger audiences to be captivated by and want to see. Because I know, you know, we all have seen the original and this rang so true with the original, in my opinion. It didn't have that like 60s like lens, like you were saying, Helen, but I do think it was just pushed so hard in the 50s. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. It wasn't, I don't know if it was modernized enough for me. And in terms of just like the film, costume wise, I thought they were great, but I don't know. What were your thoughts about that? I mean, I think it didn't work in a couple of different ways because I think remakes are hard because, you know, studios obviously want things that are surefire, right? So they want sort of like a Marvel, like trilogy type of thing. They want things that have already a fan base, a remake of something that's successful. But yeah, I feel like the audiences nowadays want different stories told. They don't want the same stories told. And so I actually did feel that way about Dune also. It's like, yes, these movies were remade and they were really beautiful and articulate and well done, but are they the stories that we need to hear now or audiences they want? sort of different stories to be told, new things that they could like and love. And I also think it's interesting and I think it's very successful that it's Paul's first time working with Spielberg because Spielberg usually works with the same people and how sort of successful and dynamic it was. I would also like to say like they made all their costumes, but like I thought, especially with the men of the time period of the two gangs, he really distinguished um, and, you know, separated them visually in a way because, you know, sort of everyday men's clothes from time periods, they kind of bleed together, you know, like they don't look that different. But I thought he really threw the styling of the time period and sort of the color cues in which gang could wear what did a really good job in sort of articulating men, which I also feel like a lot of times in time periods, it's very, very hard. Again, because men tend to wear the same things during that time period. It, men didn't really start getting more expressive until like the 1960s. But yeah, costumes aside, I think it just didn't do well because I think audiences want something else, but studios 
in a way sort of don't want that because they're not sure of the sure thing, which is why I think like streaming, if you agree, Allison, really helps in sort of the different types of movies that audience get to see because for them, it's their first try at something. So they're more willing to sort of take a risk at newer sort of concepts and newer stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. Streaming is a godsend in some ways. And also, <laughs> I don't know, really complicated in other ways. It makes it work so much more now. <laughs> I really I really agree with you saying in terms of the color palette when they were at the dance. And um, I, I talk a lot out loud when I'm watching films and my partner hates it. He's like, oh my God, here we go. But I was like, okay, well, let's look at the palettes of each gang. Like, what are they? I was like, oh, I see. Like the warmer colors over here, the cooler colors are here. And then they, they share yellows maybe in terms of like the palette. But it's beautiful. I think his the lighting technician worked magic just in terms of moving all the colors around and the choreography. Yeah, the palette was beautiful too. But yeah, I did, I did love the costumes though. They're a solid 1950s take on it. I've seen the original. Was Paul informed trying to copy or is the costumes one of the things that he did update from the original? I think the costumes he did update a lot from the original. Obviously, they kept Maria's iconic dress sort of the way it should be. And that's what Allison was saying is like a lot of times they give you certain leeway in different aspects, especially in a remake. Like they will say, oh, we like to remake this aspect of it, right? But then they'll say there's something iconic from the first film that we really want to redo in this film. So they either copy it directly or they'll give it a nod. And I think that's... Uh, what happened. So there's things like that, where it's like you're designing to another design again, and that's difficult. And it has a new has a different set of challenges in itself, because you might not even like the design, but you have to sort of make it in a way that you feel is digestible, you know, in the new form. But I also think in this in this new one, they simplified a lot of the designs and color coded a lot of the designs to make it just poppier and brighter. And I think in general, like more lively than the original, but also, you know, it was lit terribly different too. It did look real, but there was this like very artifice lighting from time to time and in the production design too. So it was like a very unique hybrid between the two. I think the costumes in the new West Side Story were definitely a new take because I think like Helen was saying, there definitely was a lens of the 1960s and the other one. And this one, this one rang true more fifties to me, definitely when I was watching it, it was like an immediate, like as soon as they, the boys like came out, I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, this is stronger. I think. Well, nice insights on all five of these films, but let me know if there's other films from last year that you feel deserve a shout out for their work in costume design. I think a lot of times, you know, I did mention this earlier, like, the things that get nominated for costumes is period, sci-fi, that's it. <laughs> Fantasy, maybe. No contemporary movie ever gets nominated a lot unless the contemporary movie was like a huge hit and it itself is up for a lot of awards, which I think is sort of a lack of understanding of our industry just because you are creating a contemporary film. If it's successful in the way it looks, doesn't mean that the creative process is really any less than these films. It's just sort of different. And I feel like the fact that they don't nominate any contemporary films in this section, it's kind of sad. Second of all, you know, things that get nominated for the Oscars usually cost a lot of money. And I think that's also a lens that's kind of sad too, because, you know, you could have a film be 20, 30 million and it could win best picture, but a film that's 20, 30 million would probably not get nominated because either they have to keep 
the design smaller or the scope is smaller. And so even if it's really good, it doesn't get the recognition it did. Some of the ones that I thought was really good was Spencer, which was 18 million. Um, the French Dispatch, which was 25 million. And I know it's a Wes Anderson film, so you're like, I roll Wes Anderson Oscars, you know. But I thought for 25 million being made, production design and costume works so well in that film that I thought at that price point for it to look that good, it's kind of amazing. The Green Knight, I think, deserved some recognition. It was made for 15 million also. And the costumes were brilliant and has this kind of like paired back, modern, but Byzantine kind of feel. And that's incredibly hard for something that's, you know, a movie that's made for that much money. Something that's higher, obviously, is The Last Duel, which I thought, or doing, uh, you know, 14th century costume, it was in terms of like the textiles and the textures and just the way they really understood, uh, Genji Yates did that, like understood that time period, like that was quite amazing because I've really never seen it like that before. Oh, and I, I do want to say something. King Richard, I thought was really well done too because it was subtle time period. And I thought that also doesn't get recognized either when something's subtle and very, very real and not costumey it also gets overlooked because people think it's easy. It just shows up on the actor's bodies, even though you have to make it also. It doesn't just show up on the actor's bodies. It has to be made or sourced. The process is just as difficult when something is subtle looking. I actually had a few that were similar too. I also thought about King Richard, subtle, but fantastic. Also the fact that sometimes you don't being distracted in costumes is actually a bad thing sometimes. So mm -hmm. the yeah. fact that when you watch King Richard, it's seamless is actually, it's a success. So I think people are like, oh, well, it's subtle. So what are you talking about? Why did it be nominated? Well, it took a long time for someone to figure out all the things. And it transcended so many years that like, oh, what did they do that was so great? That's why it was so successful. Also, I agree with the Green Knight, such a tiny hairstring budget especially I assume because a lot of that budget goes to the actors and locations. Locations were crazy in that film. And then the, like just that the fact that the designer had to streamline everything, but also she modernized it and it was super cool to watch because it was forward thinking. It was impactful. These people also are from money. So they can be dressed to the tees, um, like the wedding gown, his palette. The fact that he had to wear that through his whole adventure and then he could only wear the same thing in like different ways. I thought the styling was great in that. Spencer, I also thought was fantastic. It's kind of more of a smaller film just in terms of like the cast and like it's that mind thriller where she's just essentially stuck in the mansion. But she also has to wear, she has a lot of costume changes. So as Diana, like the fact that they had to go through her closet and replicate a lot of things, but also have some sort of room for interpretation. I thought that was really great. I also thought uh, Coming to America was great. That's a big film. A lot of things to cover, all these different groups of people, modern to America. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. That was a lot. I thought that was great too. It's it's more like cheesy. It's a comedy, but doesn't mean that it wasn't done well. Also being the Ricardos, I thought was really great. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Lucio Ball. Nicole Kidman can always wear clothes really well. And she's really self-aware of how her body moves in them, the fit. I think she also has a lot of feedback in the fittings in terms of how things fit. So I just think that was also really strong. And like you were saying, Helen, it's just such a shame that contemporary movies don't get more of a shout out. 
it's a different thought process, but the same amount of work goes into it. Yeah. A lot of people sometimes just think, oh, it's always just off the rack. A lot of it can be built. A lot of it can be made to order. And it's also takes place in 2020. It doesn't matter that it's 2020. But like we said before, it's like, because it's contemporary, like everybody from their dad to their uncle has an opinion on like right. the costume because they put pants on in the morning. Right. And that's also a hard thing for costume designers to say. I've been thinking a lot about that recently. And it's like, what do we bring to contemporary film? And it really is like when actors or directors, or when they give notes, they're giving notes within their experience. Allison, like you said, it's like they saw it once, their daughter wear it, you know, it's like their own point of reference. But what costume designers do, and I feel like is essential to contemporary costumes that people don't recognize is that we look at everything. We look at every person, we bring our knowledge of, you know, costume history, we bring our knowledge of film history. There is a wide range of things that we pay attention to that we bring to inform our decision about what's the most effective thing on screen. But because it's contemporary, I feel like people feel more free to interrupt that process and to give their opinion. And I feel like that is the challenge. And I feel like sometimes it does need an Oscar nomination to be like, hey, these were really hard to do. Maybe they should break out into three categories for costume design. Yeah. <laughs> do you do it? I mean, like Television Academy does. Contemporary, it's in its own form. And I know the Oscars is more of a one ball type of thing, but I think it does come from like a lack of understanding of how costume design is. Yeah, agreed. Well, I always appreciate hearing your insights on costume design. Well, I can't promise we're going to fix the Oscars. You'll always have a forum here on the podcast. So bring it back. <laughs> it was great having you guys on the show today. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. Thank you so much, Jaden. It's a pleasure as always. Yeah, thank you, Skid. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit our website, belowtheline.biz. That's B-I-Z. It's easy to peruse past episodes, and you'll find links to all of our social media. That includes our page on IMDb, where, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about my guests. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of you for sticking with us. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. We'll be back again next week with more Oscar coverage. Thanks again from Below the Line.